You're listening to Once, episode 208, The Price. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Aaron. And we are happy to have you joining us. We've dug more in depth into this episode, The Price, and we are happy to be uh, including your feedback with this. If you'd like to follow along in the show notes, go to oncepodcast.com slash 208. So I have a couple of character observations quickly from the entrance to Camelot. First, Granny has really become such a small business owner. She's seen all this <laughs> stuff. She's not, it's not taking her back. She's not sharing memories of other times. Maybe she didn't ever go to royal functions or anything, even in her youth. But what does she say? She says she likes any party. She doesn't have to cater. So that's uh, spoken like a true small business owner, I think. And... Also, I have to say, it's a little funny to think of a woman in a sensible pantsuit having a handmaiden. <laughs> Who's mute. Who's mute. Mm-hmm. Mute or otherwise. She said it both times that I saw that I watched this episode. She says, you can be my mute handmaiden. I was like, why would you have a handmaid? Oh, right. <laughs> and that was really all that we saw of Zelina. Well, that's all we needed to see. I was going to say, I'm not sorry about that. No offense to anyone. I do like her banter with Regina, but... Yes. Small doses. So, with Zelina muted, she probably can't be part of the cause for Emma going fully dark, as I theorized once. Maybe she stays muted this whole time. Zelina, that is, stays muted this whole time while they're in Camelot, which would certainly make sense. You wouldn't want to see the the mute maid suddenly starts speaking. Did you notice when they mentioned the dark one that Arthur grabbed his sword? It was almost like a reassurance or like maybe a preparation for something. I did not notice. Makes sense. Which probably goes to this whole thing on and on through this episode I just kept thinking, why could they not have said, Emma has always been the savior, but right now, she also has the dark one, and that's what we're here to do, is destroy that. I mean, worst case, they're like, yeah, you're not coming to Camelot, you can stay here at Granny's, and everyone else can come to Camelot. I mean, would that have been so bad? Yeah, like, even if they, like, I'm sure they would have had time to explain the whole situation. Like, she embraced the darkness to save everyone in our kingdom. Yeah, so it seems like the prophecy is the prophecy. So why not let them, like, why not just be truthful? I mean, what have we learned? Have we learned, if we've learned nothing else from the past several seasons... It's all about being truthful. In fact, I have to say, this episode, they threw out multiple things that they've been focusing on as, like, central lessons in other story arcs. Yep. It's kind of weird. It is. And you'd think 
they would be thinking, well, wait, they said the Savior. So there's only one Savior that we think there's only one Savior. And that's Emma. (laughs) So, yeah, what... (laughs) Yeah, that's what was she thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't know. I, I, it's a confusing thing for very good reasons, but I think that they've handled it very poorly. It's really going to come back to bite her probably even more than this. Because even <laughs> later on in the episode, when she had the opportunity to come clean and say, I'm actually not the savior, all she said was, I'm the evil queen. Well, Camelot is a place of second chances. La, ra, ra, ra. Ra, ra, ra. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, speaking about the decade that Arthur had referred to, or the decade or so, Matthew Paul in our forum said the decade might not be referring to the 28 years of the curse. So the decade really might date back to eight or nine years before the curse, plus the additional year or two since the curse broke. Oh, good call. Because they were probably frozen during the curse like everybody else. Yeah. But even there, I would have thought that any prophecy from Merlin would have had to have come from long before any of them were born. But that may just be a lack of knowledge of Mm. Merlin's story, which I'm sure we'll be getting. Well, the Watcher wanted to challenge something here. The The Watcher Watcher said, something isn't adding up. (laughs) And I am betting Arthur isn't being as truthful as he claims. Merlin is not in that tree. Whoever it is, or whatever it is, can only be freed by reuniting the dagger with Excalibur, and doing so will probably unleash something even worse. I am betting Morgana is the one in that tree, or Black Fairy, but not Merlin. This is why he warned Emma, don't use Excalibur. I like that theory. Well, Mm -hmm. I like parts of it, but... (laughs) But Arthur is a legend. And no, these stories aren't always what we think they are. However, I think that pretty well destroys the entire story of King Arthur and Camelot and the rest of it. It also leads us down a bit of a rabbit trail that I'm not sure the story has time to take. Because this is the arc where we need to see Merlin. I could be wrong, but... It seems that that's going to be a very important component of this whole thing. Well, look at how they did season four. They had a story arc that was pursued and pursued, but never actually actively pursued until the second half. And that was the author thing. True. They hinted at wanting to find the author near the beginning of the fourth season, Mm. but they didn't actually take that on extremely actively until the second half of the season. Yes, it was part of the first half, but the main part of the first half was the Snow Queen, Elsa, Anna, Arendelle, all that stuff. So maybe this thing that they're looking for Merlin, maybe that quest for Merlin actually won't continue until the second half of the season. And my crazy theory covers that. Oh, goodness sakes. (laughs) This is like the all-encompassing crazy theory. (laughs) And you're probably going to be disappointed when you hear it. I looked really closely in Merlin's tower, hoping to find little clues, hoping to find neat little nods to things. Unfortunately, nothing really stood out to me as interesting in Merlin's tower in almost any way. 
Yeah, it was a pretty generic tower for being Merlin's tower. Yeah. I expected to see a lot more magic, a lot more symbols. At least it was more structurally sound than in the Disney animation. Yeah. As I recall. <laughs> I just found the Sword in the Stone movie for 10 bucks on Blu-ray at Costco. <laughs> so now I'm going to watch it. <laughs> did you did you pull it out of the shelf dramatically as though only you were worthy? I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> For once, we do have Robin and Regina standing by a tree, but this time they're still L-O-O-K-I-N-G. I-N-G. I liked seeing them preparing Regina for the ball. <laughs> I loved her clueless moment with the dress. <laughs> I wasn't even expecting it at all. Uh, who was the stepmom in the scene and who was... The- <laughs> right. Yeah. Which I always forget the stepmom part. It's so weird to think about. Well, Snow was acting like Regina's mother. It's true. But then they had this nice little transformation for her, and they gave her what I'm I'm going to call the innocent hairstyle. The innocent hairstyle. And that is, yeah, where <laughs> Regina's hair is mostly pulled back, but she has these couple bits, and I'm not a hairstylist. I'm not a girl. I have no idea what this is called, because there's it's probably some official name for I it. Know, but they, I know this. It's called hair. They had these couple bits of hair uh, farther front that weren't tied back, and it gives Regina this younger, more innocent look. Aaron, you're a girl. What do you call that? <laughs> it's a very, hmm. like, 90s hairstyle. Like, I used to purposely do that in my hair when I was in, like... I don't know, elementary and, school. <laughs> and I feel like, I, I guess in answer to this, the chat room is starting to say tendrils, and I just feel like that sounds so vile. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, and then I was totally expecting a blue dress, which I guess wouldn't match the necklace, but blue's her favorite color. So I just thought she'd go blue. Tendrils, that is actually what it's called. Well, okay. <laughs> huh. well, Fail for the girl. A word I will never, ever use again, probably, unless I'm talking to my wife. What word? Tendrils. Well, you could also be talking about some sea monster. <laughs> that's tentacles. It's well, a little bit different. Yeah, but maybe that's one of those words. We might be having an unlock on mythology terminology. I knew when that guy gave Regina the necklace that it would be something malicious either some kind of spying device or some kind of enchantment that would weaken her powers. That's what I thought it would really be. So if that's the case, why didn't he use the necklace to kill her instead of the sword? If he enchanted the sword so it would kill Regina, then he could have done the same thing with the necklace and made it even easier. I I didn't really get the point of the necklace in this episode at all, because if he already knew that she was the evil queen, then... Like it would have been more surprising for us as an audience for them to just be dancing together and have that scene without us knowing that he had heard Charming say she wasn't the savior. So yeah. I just feel like it was pointless. Like he already knew she was the evil queen. Therefore, he didn't need the necklace to spy on her. Mm-hmm. It just seemed out of place. And it didn't seem very honorable, which Knights of the Round Table, probably there should have been more of a code there. Yeah. But he also believed Arthur wouldn't have let him do it, which might speak to Arthur's character. Oh, true. Well, maybe they decided they needed 
a little bit more of Percival here, so we got to know him just... Percival? Yeah, that was his name. Percival? Percival. Okay, let me say that again. <laughs> I was thinking parcel because I was expecting a parcel today. Or a parcel it... with tendrils. <laughs> yeah. Oh, which, by the way, are, can be a plant thing. That must yeah. be what I was thinking yeah. of. Maybe it was they left these scenes in because they wanted us to understand him a little bit more but before he I, died yeah i know that there have been plenty of times i've said there must have been an edited out scene or they only have so much time to fit everything in mm-hmm. it seems that the opposite was true in here and maybe they left something <laughs> in that they probably should have removed in the editing filled hmm. it with time on something else i don't know what maybe yeah i can go along with that sure so at this ball henry Gets to make his first move. <laughs> and the song that they play is Only You. And there are a couple interesting things about this. And Jessica Frey also pointed this out, that she said that uh, she's officially af- obsessed with Violet Believer's first crush song. And she looked up the lyrics. I looked up the lyrics. You probably looked up the lyrics, too. But there's a lot of similarities in the storyline with the whole Captain Swan thing. Hook and Emma, especially a couple lines stood out to me. One of the lines is, it's just the touch of your hand. In Storybrooke, on the docks, let me jump to here, Henry did not let Emma touch his hand. Yeah, which really frustrated me. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like Henry, of all people, should know that love is what's going to save Emma. Yeah. And another line is, all I needed was the love you gave. And that's basically the main premise of the song is, I need only you. All I need is only you. So it's making me think that Hook is really Emma's constant here. Lost reference for you guys. (laughs) Hook is the one that is going to get Emma anchored and hooked into staying on the light side. And that's what this song is emphasizing. But... It's kind of crazy that this song is more focused on the relationship between Henry and Violet than between Emma and Hook. But it does still tie along, I think, with the storyline of this episode and of the show so far. So the ball was full of all kinds of things. Honestly, just as a side trip, I want somebody to explain the Emma Hook moment when they entered the ball to me. Swan, you look, I know. What? I don't, I, twice, I don't understand it. What did that mean? I think she was trying to just like downplay the like attention that he was trying to give her. I guess. Like, yeah, I know. I know I look good. Okay. We don't have to dwell on it. Uh, like, was she like, yeah, I know how I look. Or was she <laughs> like, I don't know. I was like, does it mean, because I was thinking, gosh, she sure looks light. she does look very light it could be and this is a bit of a stretch but it could be a subtle nod to star wars because there's a line in star wars one of the famous love moments in star wars where leia and i'm sorry if this is a spoiler but leia is seeing han solo being uh frozen (laughs) and just before he goes down leia says i love you and Harrison Ford, who played Han Solo, ad-libbed this, and he said, I know. 
<laughs> and it was one of the best ad-libbed lines in movie history. There are several others. And some of those other ones have actually made it into Once Upon a Time. Like, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. That was one of those other famous ad-lib moments. That was in a Once Upon a Time episode. <laughs> so maybe this whole I know response is a nod to Star Wars. I mean, maybe. It's kind of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, it is a stretch. Not as much of a stretch as my big crazy theory coming later. <laughs> Doesn't Princess Leia wear all white as well or no? Did I make that up? She is wearing all white often. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I haven't seen Star Wars, so. Just like I said, moving on from the staircase, Belle's carting around that stinking rose in the dome. Still, I just, Ugh. I mean, a pocket watch, a wrist watch would have been really cool. Mm-hmm. Just saying. If. If that was not a glass half empty versus glass half full conversation that she had with Leroy, I don't know what is. It's like you can see it as empty or you can see it as full. And then let's dance. It was kind of nice. It is a nice reminder because look at the situation Once Upon a Time is in right now. Everything seems bleak. Hope, Hope seems lost. Emma, the savior, is the dark one who's going to protect the town now. At this moment in the episode, it's still questioning Regina's ability to protect the town as well. Mm -hmm. And something new has happened. There's all of this darkness looming over the town. And this little moment, I think, was a nice reminder that, hey, there's still hope. Yeah. And this is a symbol of that. It's funny, because as you say that, I realize I don't feel like the town's in that much danger. (laughs) I think it's because Emma's too big in the show like she's too there's not really a question to me i guess i maybe i'm wrong but i guess i'm like well yeah she's not going to remain the dark one that's just not even on the table the round table (laughs) that can't happen and so far we don't know what the other stakes are clearly so i guess i don't see as much tension and danger as maybe i should i'm enjoying it but i don't see it as a permanent condition for her yeah and i i don't for i don't i don't know if i might regret saying this but i don't Mm -hmm. picture her actually doing anything to anybody in the town that is irreparable oh that she might do she needs to at least throw someone through the clock (laughs) it's all it's what all the (laughs) villains do do they have to die if she throws them through the clock? no Regina can just heal them. Maybe not. Because that's what I mean. Like, I don't think that she's going to kill anybody. She doesn't seem like she's in a, you know, Zelina mood. <laughs> Maybe she'll kill Zelina. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that would be fine, though. Because she's <laughs> Zelina. <laughs> uh, speaking of killing, <laughs> David totally killed Percival. Yeah, for sure. And all I'm hearing is like three years of beating the drum, heroes don't kill. I don't agree with that statement, frankly, but Percival? Like, he, yeah, he was attacking Regina. That's not good. But they totally had him. And he had good reason. So, and even, and Arthur was really cool with it. And even later, they were like, yeah, but he was right. I feel like Arthur would have been going, okay, wait, what? He had good reason to act the way that he did, and you killed him. Hmm. See, Hmm. I think... Did David go dark in that moment? (laughs) 
I think we've had this conversation either on the podcast or maybe in the forums before because when it was all about Snow having killed Cora, there was all this discussion about, well, then now, now she's evil, but then everyone's like, well, Ruby's killed for them in war. Like when they were at war, Ruby mm-hmm. would wolf and kill people. Like, Ruby, you've got someone on your chin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we know, like, David, I'm sure those, when he did the sword fight with Emma as a baby in the pilot, I'm sure that those guards were killed. So to me, it's never been a question that everybody kills in love, in war. And other than Snow White, I think, was the point. She's never killed. Let's change a word here. Okay. Heroes don't murder. Sure. Yeah. But they've they've bandied this phrase about even at times where yeah. it was in self-defense. Right. And it was the enemy. And it seemed the only way to make everyone truly safe was to kill this unremorseful, evil person. And they still were like, don't do it. And so here, I mean, they're not even talking about it. David doesn't, like, they didn't bat an eye. I just would have liked to see something a little different mm-hmm. in that. Especially if they were just going to tell Arthur the truth anyway. They didn't really have to kill Percival at all. It might be the threat as well. Like, the time I'm thinking of from what you just said is when they were going to execute Regina. She was not a threat to them at that time because they had captured her. So I think it's like, it's kind of like the death penalty argument, right? Like, it's, is that right? Like, Cruella, that was a huge thing from last year. That was like... Emma going dark was like based around killing Cruella when she didn't necessarily have to. So, yeah, true. I mean, I don't know that it's a huge point. I just think it's funny to sort of belabor these points for a few years and then and then just run them through with a sword just because they're back in the enchanted forest. Like, okay, <laughs> right? They sort of made me oversensitive to it in the context of this show with their their philosophizing over it. And then, but that seems to be out the window, at least for this week. But it's also funny because it's alongside the concept of Emma going dark still. And that's just been made such a big part of dark or light. And it felt a tad like, and I'm sure Charming was just defending Regina, but it almost felt like covering up the secret for a second. Because also in that moment, Regina, instead of, looking remorseful and saying i'm so sorry i'm not that person anymore she's going who else have you told like what is that (laughs) nothing like making him want to kill you but charming wasn't privy to that conversation right? no he he wasn't no yeah i I was i wondered why regina didn't use magic she's the savior so she's expected to have it they wouldn't let emma use magic which i also think it's interesting that emma's first instinct now is to use magic versus reaching for her gun which is what she's always done in the past um yeah it's just it was a bizarre scene i I guess he had to die so that he couldn't spill the secret and regina wouldn't kill him because then it would be well i guess they didn't reveal the whole secret no well what he knew was the main thing that he knew that he was rubbing in right now was that he knew that Regina was the evil queen. Right. Which now, yeah, they let that secret out. But he did also hear, no one will know you're not the savior. Right. He Maybe he did share that. Maybe not. It seems like Arthur is still going along. Maybe Arthur does know the truth, though. But because of something that happened, which didn't look like it really happened, Robin... <laughs> 
is dying. <laughs> I, I did have to wonder, did he actually die? Because how does this whole uh, law with the fury work? Because was he like in death's grasp or was he actually dead? If he was dead, then they're breaking the laws of magic for Regina to bring him back to life. Or was he at death's door? He was not dead. And Regina or uh, Emma was like, no, I do the knocking. So move aside. You're not going to die right now insert obligatory he was only mostly dead (laughs) yeah uh yeah see how many characters have we seen heal and when well zelina healed her hand well zelina is like uber powerful right but i feel like we've never seen there have been a lot of wounded people and i don't think we've seen a ton of healing we've seen other things heal not magic like we saw the water from lake nostos heal yeah. So I just questioned whether Regina ever would have been able to heal. And then they, you know, they had Regina magic babble her thing about the sword being enchanted to kill her so her magic couldn't heal him. Okay, cool. But yeah. I also don't know how often she's healed before. I don't know. That they kind of threw me a little bit. Yeah, she never tried to heal Henry when he was poisoned in season one. Which you'd think if there was any other time that she would ever try to heal somebody, it would be then. Yeah. And that's because magic was unpredictable then. Yes. It didn't quite oh, work. Oh, true. Yeah, so she, she couldn't have. have. And should we, are we to just assume that right now Emma's light magic is suppressed or not present? Because I, you wouldn't think that healing someone would be dark magic but they seem to think that the only magic she can use right now is dark magic. Well, remember at the end of season four, when the black stuff was wrapping and going all around Regina, Mm. they said it's snuffing out the light. Right. And it wasn't even complete yet. So this has completely uh, engulfed Emma. So yes, I'm thinking it has snuffed out her light magic and that any magic she uses is dark magic. Hmm. I don't like that. I don't I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't like it. Somebody who was 100% good, like the bearer of all goodness and the savior, it shouldn't be so easy to just snuff out her light. And plus, that term was used at the end of this episode in Gold's monologue that he, that they were trying to snuff out. Yeah. The light. I think that's where it was. This was another case of Emma wanting to do the wrong thing, but for the right reason. She should not have used her magic. Although, but then that means Robin would have died. But they're kind of in this situation because Regina lied about who the savior was. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell lies, kids. Which wasn't, yeah. And again, that whole, you lied to me. I don't know how many times we've heard that. And they've learned so many times that the truth is the best. But here they are, lying to King Arthur and the people of Camelot. So, I mean, if you're going to go big or go home, right? Technically, was Regina not the savior of the second curse? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's actually true. Because it was her true love's kiss on Henry that broke the curse. Bam. <laughs> so, you know what? No, it's Henry. Everybody's got to kiss Henry. So maybe in, in this, well, Emma kissed Henry in season one that broke the curse and yeah. Regina kissed Henry in season two 
that broke that curse or season three i'm sorry and uh here maybe violet has to kiss henry Ugh. and that breaks no. this new curse. <laughs> i am so not about the violet and henry awkwardness. violet is the bad person and actually you know what <laughs> no wait yeah let's just this is not my crazy theory okay but what if <laughs> violet is morgana and she's the villain Who in the heck is morgana she was the villain of the the arthurian legend and merlin and associated with all of that oh well maybe she is she was a little snot frankly at the ball <laughs> the people who have already become all about this ship will probably hate me for this but she was so over it really spoiled she had nice <laughs> moments too so maybe i shouldn't judge so quickly but you know what they say about first impressions i actually disagree with that but still she's also like 14 yeah well it could be a kiss on the forehead that was in response to your spoiled brat comment, not <laughs> oh, not the oh, true gotcha. love kiss. <laughs> oh, so she's like got the same emotional maturity as Emma? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I did look up the name Violet to just try and see if there was any like mythology or if there was a character or anything, and I didn't find anything at all like that. I did find um, there's... I think it was a video game about Camelot and there was something about Violet, but I didn't understand maybe a character in a video game. But um, Violet just means like it's all about love and innocence and stuff. So, I mean, it's fitting since it's Henry's first kind of crush. Mm. That's that's all I got. <laughs> I did try. <laughs> Morgana, by the way, is also known as Morgan Le Fay. So be on the lookout for Le Fay. Like if it's Violet Le Fay, woo, then we predicted something here that seemed like a crazy theory. But the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking, why if? I don't think they have last names in Camelot. I'm saying, no, Violet might be her Storybrooke name. Oh, well, Even though she is not cursed to forget her yeah. Camelot past. E correct. I feel like... This kissing hook thing is only going to work for Emma so creepy. for so long. Was she now? Did she do that on some kind of weird magic high, or was she trying to counteract the darkness? I think she was trying to counteract the darkness. Okay, because she looked otherwise... around for Hook as if like she was realizing, I need help. <laughs> he was remember he kissed her before, and that helped relieve some of the pain. Okay. Or the, the the torment from the darkness. Hmm. Yeah, isn't that when gold disappeared? Yeah. Yeah. And similar. Well, gold disappeared here before she used the magic. No, I meant in the opening of the season. The season right, opener. Yeah. I was very happy to see Regina not force her, even though she begged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still different. Here's my thing about the gold skin. This is my question. So if she turns, say she had turned all gold in fairy tale land, uh, as we might assume based on Rumpelstiltskin's look, why, like she shouldn't look any different in Storybrooke because Rumpelstiltskin just looks like a normal dude in Storybrooke. Right. Mr. Gold. Although he can walk and he couldn't walk in the Enchanted Forest. Right. But I just mean her costume. What's with the getup in Storybrooke? Yeah. Like nobody else keeps their like Zelina doesn't stay green in Storybrook, mm. etc. So I was just 
the dwarfs don't keep their little special ears. <laughs> yeah, Regina's. Uh, I was going to say, or their height, but they're not short in no. <laughs> the Enchanted Forest. But the fairies are nuns, etc. <laughs> yes. They still have that nun habit. <laughs> it could be something that is somewhat tied to her in some way, or kind of like for Rumple, he had the cane still, uh, even in Storybrooke. It could be something that's maybe a hint she left for herself, or something was left, like to remind her of light magic, or it could just be mm-hmm. that's the way they wanted to, her to look, or maybe she, you know, like maybe Jennifer Morrison said, hey, how about my hair be white? It doesn't look white to me, though. Well, It's lighter, maybe. It's not totally it, white. It looked a lot more white in this episode than it did last episode. But it's, it's this, this episode, she was very black and white. She was all in black and then white hair. And I noticed that when Arthur was at the round table... He had his shield was very black and white, but like mixed together, like like almost like a what's it called, like a yin yang symbol, yeah. where the black is in the white and the white is in the black. That's what type of symbol it was. I'm sure there's like a proper term for it. Um, I just found that really symbolic, based on the themes, especially like with the ones we'll talk about when we talk about the present. But it's very. I thought that was symbolic, the black and the white. I don't know if that's was intentional or not well black white and red even red with excalibur when the sword was Mm -hmm. set in it you mean which i seem to remember some connection of red white and black as a theme with these writers in the past cruella not even this show necessarily regina always wore like red in her kind of like evil days too Mm -hmm. not only black black with red but then the apples red and even when she dressed up scary this time. <laughs> Even Snow White, right? It was like black hair, white skin, red lips. It was always black, white, and red. Well, here's an interesting thought on Emma that Cutie Pie sent in. I believe that the reason Emma erased their memories and holds a grudge is that things are going to keep happening that require her to use her magic. Like this week, Robin was killed by an enchanted sword that Regina could not counteract with her magic because it was enchanted, and so Emma had to use hers. I believe that things will keep happening like this, and Emma will keep saving the others and using her magic and changing each time until she is gold-flecked and a bit haggard like our Rumpelstiltskin. I think the way she looks in Storybook is not how she really looks. Somehow she has hidden herself from their sight and erased their memories so that they will not remember what they caused her to become while in Camelot. I like this idea of progressively her going dark and changing. And that inspired another idea from Cutie Pie's feedback. Uh, This is my idea. I was thinking, what if everything that we see in Storybrooke, this is not my crazy theory. (laughs) What if everything we see in Storybrooke is something that Emma caused because she knew what was coming And she knew she could not use her magic, but she had to place everyone in a situation where they had to be the savior or saviors instead of her, thus protecting her from having to use her magic. Hmm. Tis a thought. Yeah. So we do get to see the official round table, which was cool. And 
as Guinevere pointed out, Merlin tells us what happens, but he doesn't tell us how. Kitsis and Horowitz tell us how. <laughs> that's my line. That's not that's not what Guinevere said. Wouldn't it be great if she did though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There were some cool symbols on the backs of the chairs, like a sword and moon, uh, some stars, a different basic sort of magical symbols like that. Nothing that really stood out to me. The sword itself we know of, but the shield, like Aaron was saying, is very much that yin-yang, which is the supposed balance between light and dark. Is it the same symbols on all the chairs? No, it's different symbols on each chair. Does it match the crest that they wear? I think there are too many symbols to match oh, okay. the crest that they wear. But Oh, you're saying like the different soldiers we saw. Yeah, because I didn't look at the yes, chairs. Yes, yes, okay. it does. Yeah, the couple knights that were with Arthur when he pulled the stone, the right. sword from the stone, I believe at least one of them did match with one of the backs of the chairs. Cool. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they were. These were the knights of the round table that are with him. That makes perfect sense right. because he even refers to the people with him as knights. And uh, each of them probably match up to their chair. Probably. The sign seating. <laughs> and should we assume the stone in the center is where they might keep Excalibur sometimes? <laughs> sometimes. sometimes. I mean, it's awkward. You have to walk on the yeah. table to get it. <laughs> or Arthur does anyway. Maybe. Oh, here's a crazy thought. What if that castle is actually built around where they pulled the sword from the stone? And they built a fast castle. Or maybe yeah. that they brought the stone with them to form the round table around it. That seems more likely. It seems to be easily transported by the final scene that we saw in this episode in the present. I know Jacqueline still suspects Guinevere and Arthur as being a bit shady, and I'm not decided yet. I wouldn't be surprised if Arthur is hiding something. I think that he's hiding something. I, I don't think it's sinister, though. I, I agree that they're a little bit shady. And he, he still looks like an evil character to me. So uh, It's the beard. It is the beard. Uh, <laughs> total sidebar, just so that I am the token girl on this podcast, Guinevere has really pretty token pink dresses. <laughs> <laughs> That's more like the token girl comment. You're not the token girl. <laughs> she did have two very pretty pink dresses in this episode. <laughs> Gowns. I think they're called gowns gowns. in (laughs) Camelot. (laughs) To those who wear such things. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, before we move on to talking about the present, I want to thank some people who have made this episode of the podcast possible because without your support, we could not do this podcast. So for this episode specifically, I'd like to thank David Newland, Steve Johnson, Lisa Slack, and our 26 backers on Patreon. Thank you very much for your support episode after episode. It helps the podcast continue. There are ways that we'd like to grow the podcast even more that will require some extra support. So if you would like to support the podcast and be like a hero to the podcast with us, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. Or if you feel like a villain, then go ahead and go to oncepodcast.com slash villain. (laughs) And spoiler, it takes you to the same page. But thank you very much for the kind support for this episode, David, Steve, Lisa, and our 26 backers on Patreon. I'll be sending out some Once Podcast cards very soon to several of our backers on Patreon because we have certain perks that if you give a certain amount on a monthly basis, then you get some free uh, podcast cards. So those will be going out in the mail again very soon. Thank you for your support. If you'd like to be a hero, go to oncepodcast.com slash 
hero. But just so you know, we will track whether you go to hero or villain. And if you go to villain, you may not get invited to any meetups or parties <laughs> because that might just be scary. Just saying. Like Regina's dress. Yes. <laughs> you might go for a bit less scary or a bit less evil. <laughs> the dwarf set the town line, testing <laughs> the boundaries. You got to find out what it does this time. Yeah, it does seem to do something completely different in it, as Regina did say. Well, that's new. <laughs> I really wanted to see something a little bit different happen. You did? Yeah. What did you want? Well, like I said in the initial reactions, I thought that Dopey would maybe start speaking. And it would be cool if he was suddenly this radio voice like, Hey, guys, it's suddenly working. <laughs> I think it could have been cool if they could have left. Like, nothing was keeping them there, because so far, it's not super dangerous, although I suppose Emma may have declared some type of plan to punish them all. So I guess from that standpoint, maybe you'd leave. But it'd be cool if they decided to stand and stay and help the town and help Emma, and everyone just sort of wanted to stay. That it's trees that everyone turns into makes me think that this is not Emma's doing, but this is either Merlin. Yes. Or, or think about this. Whoever trapped Merlin in the tree. Exactly. Yes. Seeing it this time, having heard later in the episode that Merlin was trapped in a tree, put a whole different spin on it in my mind. So who is powerful enough to trap the sorcerer? who is apparently the most powerful sorcerer in all the realms, which I thought was a title that was attributed to Rumpelstiltskin before. I guess there's someone more powerful than the most powerful (laughs) person in all the realms. Then who could have trapped him in there? I know right now in the chat room, Rob RR is suggesting that the apprentice did it, but why? Uh, Do you think the apprentice? Nah, he mostly speaks in superlatives. Apparently a lot of people do that a lot. I was thinking when you said that, that it would make sense if the dark one was the one that trapped him in the tree, but that just wouldn't make sense because 10 years ago he was cursed. Well, 10 years wasn't necessarily an accurate number because Arthur said a decade or so. That could mean it's been several decades. Yeah. It probably doesn't, but yeah, would the prophecy have been, even if you throw in 30 years of being frozen, 28 years, whatever... Would the prophecy really have been that recent? Because Merlin had been gone for a very, very long time, from what I remember. Well, who's the only other person on the show that's ever really had a lot of input and or knowledge of prophecies? Rumple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just, it would make sense if he kind of like facilitated this prophecy or passed it on to them or... Whatever, like, hey, I'm going to trap your guy in a tree and here's a prophecy in 30 years when the savior breaks the curse, she's going to come. And I don't know, like, I feel like (laughs) Rumpel didn't have that much forethought, like he didn't have that much knowledge into the future because then he wouldn't have done the curse if he knew that Bay would be gone. Yeah, I'll be disappointed if they kind of forget all of that, but it, it seems like he would have the power to do it at least. So going back to the town line, do you think that we should be reading this much into the fact that Dopey turned into a tree? Yes. I think so. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was accidental. The other things that have happened when people have crossed the town line have been, well, in season one, bad things. (laughs) 
In season two, they forgot who they were. In season three, uh, crossing the town line wasn't really questioned, if I remember correctly. Well, in the second half of season three, it was the flying monkeys, right? No, that was, was season, that season four. four. So in season oh, three, they did push. Oh, no, you could cross the town line, but you couldn't use magic because they let Pan or they thought they were letting Pan out of Pandora's box. But it was really Henry's consciousness inside of Pan. And that was at the town line so that he couldn't use his magic inside of Storybrooke. In season four, if they crossed the town lines, they would be grabbed by monkeys, not turn into monkeys or no. It was kind of an assumed combination of both. Right. Yeah. I'm going to need a flow chart. They were grabbed by <laughs> flying monkeys, brought back into Storybrooke, and then they turned into flying monkeys. That's what it was. How infographic? <laughs> <laughs> so now they turn into trees and leave. <laughs> no. They try to leave and they turn into a tree. They just stay right there. They could make a whole forest if they pushed all the dwarves over the line. <laughs> It'd be a short yeah. forest. <laughs> That's true. But so now is the dopey tree just in the middle of the road that you drive over if you're not from Storybrooke? Because you just kind of drive right through it Apparently. unknowingly. Yeah. And is that, isn't that an enchantment? Yeah. But aren't they going to... But if he's outside the line, that means that our world can see him. And so isn't he kind of in danger of like being chopped down to fix the road? Hmm. Nobody cares about that place. Some of this stuff may make more sense when I share an absolutely crazy theory I have near the end of this podcast. Hmm. Okay. Suspense he's giving us. Something else I wanted to mention about this scene is just how disappointed I was in the dwarfs. I had a big like, woohoo, the dwarfs are like back on Snow's side and they're supporting her and everything during the last episode. And then now, you know, stuff gets a little bit real again and <laughs> peace out. Like <laughs> we're gone. Um, I mean, I guess they kind of rectified that by the end of the episode or at least Grumpy did, but that was a disappointment for me. Like, they need to take a side or get off the fence or something. Well, at first it sounded like they were being heroic. They're like, someone's got to find out what happens when we cross the line. Yeah. As Jacqueline pointed out, that's apparently the dwarves' job. It is. And nothing truly bad ever really happens to them. Well, eventually they undo whatever happens. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they might even find a way to give pizza to a tree. Tacos. 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 Same thing. <laughs> yeah. When Herc then goes and visits Belle at uh, Rumpelstiltskin's shop, I think there were some really interesting little pieces here, nicely tying back into the episode Skin Deep from season one and what we saw. In case you've forgotten, Belle was starting to feel something for Rumpel. She gave him true love's kiss. He must have felt something for her because the enchantment of the, the Dark One started to uh, fade from him which thinking back to that it does make me wonder could that have completely done away with the dark one or would suddenly all of this black stuff have gone out of him that's what i wanted to know someone else but she did point something out that i think is very important for us to remember in this episode and maybe in the coming episodes when we look at emma you know 
curse isn't a curse anymore when the afflicted wants it. So maybe Emma, it seems that Emma wants this darkness or wants mm. to be the dark one. Yeah, I think that was what the point was later on when her kissing Hook didn't stop the sparkliness on her hand. Right. It did seem to hold it at bay, but then it did come after that. And we'll dig more into that in a little bit. I think, too, that, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say that Emma is completely dark just based on what said at the end as well. Do you think maybe Hook had tried this in the Enchanted Forest at Camelot? And maybe that's why it doesn't work anymore? Maybe. Because Belle said that because she did it once, it wouldn't work again. Because oh. it's kind of like chicken pox. <laughs> <laughs> you can that get chicken be. pox a second time. It just, it's shingles and ouch. Yeah. <laughs> well, what stopped, what stopped it from working with Rumple? Like he, he decided, he chose the darkness, but I think also the whole thing last season with the darkness was consuming the man that was Stiltskin. So the further Emma gets away from being Emma, the less magic like that is going to work because she's not Emma. So she can't, like, so the dark one doesn't love Hook, Emma does. So if the dark one is slowly taking her over inside, then true love's kiss isn't going to work anyway. Yeah, Rumple chose the power over love. Maybe that's what happened with Emma as well. Maybe she had a different reason for choosing the power based on the, we're, we're calling him Merlin, right? The movie theater guy? Yeah. His, the, the, the wrong thing for the right reasons is still the wrong thing. So even if she wanted it for the right reason, which it could be, I think that if this was a willful choice on her part, she might not have known what she was getting into. But I also have a crazy theory that could cover all of this. Oh, gosh. And that crazy theory comes at the end of the podcast. Okay. I'm really wanting I, people to stick through to the end. I think just like she chose the darkness at the end of the finale last year, she didn't want that darkness. She wanted to save the town. Right. So now she's stuck with this. So even if she like perhaps chose to embrace the darkness because that was the only way to free Merlin, which was then the only way to destroy the darkness. Like it could be something like that. Like she, she made that choice for the right reasons, but it was still the wrong choice because she still chose darkness oh yeah yeah we also got this great peek at what it's like to be Belle and the struggle that she's been going through it's far easier to hate a dark one than it is to love one and she would know and it sounds like she's struggled with this for years and really love is totally a choice People who have been married for several years know this because there are those moments where it feels like it's much easier to hate your spouse than it is to love your spouse. But love is totally a choice and the feelings follow the choice. So Belle has and is making that choice. And it's it's nice to see, though, it's not just easy for her to think, oh, he's a nice guy. He's got great skin. I like him. <laughs> but she does struggle with this herself. You had to go after the skin, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, and I really, I actually appreciated having kind of a succinct 
reasonable explanation for why future kisses in true love didn't start to reverse his condition. Even though we had seen it once, it never worked again. And they, I don't know that it had ever been explained or at least so clearly explained. And I didn't actually feel like it was magic babble. Yeah. When Henry is at the docks and he calls Emma, we have that moment where he doesn't let Emma touch his hand that we've already talked about. But even though she sounded the most like herself. Yeah. That at, yeah. Of any moment that she had in this whole episode, she sounded the most like herself there. It's this moment and the moment near the end of the episode when she's outside Granny's diner that seem like there's more to the story. She's not the dark one she thinks she is mm-hmm. or that we are thinking she is, but she's still Emma mm-hmm. maybe feeling like uh, she's the dark one or feeling like this is, this is her fate now and she has to accept it. Well, we've been watching Rumple for years being the dark one and wanting to be the dark one and still trying to have a life, still trying to love Belle, still sort of trying to love Henry slash sometimes trying to kill him, but only out of (laughs) self-defense based on prophecy and only in the worst way possible. (laughs) But he was trying. So there is, we've even seen, we've seen that struggle with a, at least a past dark one. So there should still be an Emma there struggling and wanting love even Rumpel's heart wasn't fully dark until recently. She did say it's complicated. Mm-hmm. But so, I also feel like she might be hiding a plot that she has going in a good way. Yes. And that goes to that idea that was inspired by Cutie Pie's feedback that maybe she put everyone in this situation because she knew they could handle it. She couldn't. Mm-hmm. And this is the only way to get them to do it. Do you think she's trying to fool the darkness inside herself? Can she do that? I don't know. See, Emma reminded me a lot of puppy dog Regina in this episode (laughs) where she just wanted to be included and then nobody included her. But I mean, I'm sure if she had gone into the diner and been like, guys, I just want to hug somebody like snow would have been all like snow would have been snow. Yeah. It's but Regina... Regina's reaction to Emma is not what I thought it would be. I thought Regina would be more embracing of Emma. The fact that Henry wanted to see his mom instead of the whole season one, get away from my son. Right. Yeah. It was interesting to see kind of a role reversal though in, in Henry and seeing Regina visiting Emma's house and getting yelled at and kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) Part of this role reversal could also be because of what happened in Camelot, where Regina pretended to be the savior, and now Emma is saying there's a problem headed to Storybrooke that only a savior can solve. I'm thinking the problem she was talking about was the Fury, and maybe the point of bringing this up is to get in Regina's mind, I can be the savior. Because she solved this problem when they did the Guardians of the Galaxy Care Bear sort of thing. (laughs) She basically solved the problem Mm -hmm. or they solved the problem together. And so they're realizing we don't need a savior because we can save ourselves now. Yeah. I, I have a little confusion over that whole thing, though. Emma says that she built, quote, this curse without a savior. 
Well, okay. Storybrooke didn't leave this time. So Storybrooke exists from the prior curse. It was only Granny's. I guess she'd curse blah, blah. I don't know. Didn't that require a heart? What kind of curse is this? To bring some people and Granny's back to Storybrooke. Not really the dark curse because it didn't create a whole nother town somewhere. So I assume it's not the dark curse. Why does it need to have a savior built into it? Which really, it's kind of funny that we're talking in mechanical terms this way about such a thing. Even as a character spot, I thought that was just Emma. Like, I didn't think she was necessarily created by being written into the curse in that way, other than being like a safety valve or something. Well, and as Jacqueline pointed out, the second curse didn't specifically have Regina written into it either. But it was Regina who broke the curse, and that's what surprised us. Yeah. Uh, another thing I observed just about you guys saying it was them who like who defeated the Fury was like maybe Emma or whoever is trying to show them that they don't need like like you were saying they don't need a savior because they never had one before. Like it seems like like they were so independent and Snow and Charming especially were so ready for a fight in the Enchanted Forest and all the flashbacks that we've seen. And they took on so much and they did so much and they took kingdoms and, you know, fought battles and wars and whatever. And then as soon as Emma kind of came along, it was like it all fell on her shoulders to save everything. Whereas they've both all, all been very capable people from the very beginning. Like the opening scene is Snow's wedding, right? And she's, you know, pulling a sword on Regina. It's just, it's very counterintuitive for them to suddenly think that they need a savior to do everything for them. Right. The, the whole con that term has started to reach a point where it's a little bit overused, I think in the show as though it's this cog in the machine of the plot and everything else turns around it and it has to, everyone has to kind of fit their piece into this puzzle of this machine or some such thing. Whereas really the reason that they called her the savior was because she was saving them from this dark curse. It was part of the prophecy. That's what she was. Yeah. It was specifically built into that curse. Yeah. With snow and charming's hair. (laughs) Yes. I forgot. You had a little bit of hair in your potion there hair magic (laughs) on the idea of what's coming to storybrooke jessica olson said emma warned regina that something was coming that needed a savior i'm guessing it's more than the fury that went after robin i'm really hoping that it's going to be morgan lefay or morgana from the arthurian legend there are several variations on the character but she is usually a sorceress who was an apprentice of merlin and is a nemesis of arthur and guinevere as well as Arthur's half-sister. Let's check this out. Another high possibility is the Lady of the Lake, who, in some versions of the legend, sealed Merlin in a cave or a tree. What? Maybe she is the one that made the curse, since if they leave, they turn into a tree. Remember, okay, so maybe Violet is evil. <laughs> I mean, what? Remember, it was also the episode with Lancelot where we went to Lady of the Lake. or that, The episode Lady of the Lake from season two had Lancelot in it. So there was a bit of an Arthurian connection there. 
I think the Lady of the Lake thing is a little bit of a stretch, but I like the idea of Morgana coming. Maybe the creepy well kid from Wonderland is going to show up. <laughs> kid, though? <laughs> oh, I maybe I'm mis- misremembering. It's been a while. <laughs> creepy young lady from <laughs> Wonderlands. It's nice, I think, in some way to see that Arthur is in Storybrooke. Yes. Because he's there in his keenly manner and keenly attire around all of these normally dressed people. I mean, they came, yes, when they came back, though, they also came dressed in what they were wearing, which I think is an important clue to Mm -hmm. something different happening. Whenever there was a curse, people came back dressed differently. Remember, the original curse, they were in Enchanted Forest clothing and then brought to Storybrooke regular clothing. In season three, when the curse put them back in Storybrooke, they went from Storybrooke clothing to Enchanted Forest clothing. Yes. Here, whatever this is, maybe it's not even a curse, but whatever this is, they came in exactly what they were wearing. Yeah, because the twister took them there and it was just a mode of transport not a curse, and it left them in their storybook clothes. And then when they came back, it seemed like a reversal of exactly how they went. So here's a thought. Whenever you see them, one of them putting on the clothing that they were wearing in the premiere of this season, know that they're about to be transported. Bad things. <laughs> yes. Maybe. Yeah. A side note about Arthur and his mindset. He thinks that defeating the Dark One can only be done with the Dark One dagger. Well, that's not really defeating the Dark One. That's becoming the Dark One. Just saying, Arthur, do your research. But he has the rest of the sword. No one else knows about that and except And I still Emma. think that just makes a big Dark One, <laughs> which is saying something. It's like supersizing the Dark One. Yeah, considering what it is, that yeah. seems like bad things. Do you think maybe the Dark One thinks it makes a big Dark One, which would be, uh, <laughs> it would be consistent with what we saw gold trying to get emma to do today uh but it's actually like a uh, what did you call it like a safety valve <laughs> right and that they set it up so that it would actually undo the dark one somehow yeah the end game again. seems foggy mm-hmm. yeah uh, and i don't think that it happened obviously it didn't happen before they came back, because it has yet to happen. I just loved Arthur's first line. Like, what a way to make an appearance in a kingdom that's not your own. Didn't anyone teach you to kneel before a king? I think I'm going to try that on some people. <laughs> can you video while you do it? I can try. Okay. <laughs> when they were at the camp and David heard them talking about Excalibur, Arthur's like, you know of Excalibur? David could have and maybe should have said here, yeah, I had a cheap imitation made of it once in order to trick my (laughs) wife into believing she was destined to be the rightful ruler of our kingdom. (laughs) You mean that sword? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. (laughs) (laughs) I knew we had heard of Excalibur before in this show, but I couldn't remember where. I forgot about that. You know, it's funny, both when... The real location of Excalibur wasn't a whole lot more impressive than the fake David made. I always think it should be in this sort of symmetrical clearing, maybe up on a rise, like a mound in the middle of the clearing, sort of 
on a pedestal made of ground. But no, it's just kind of like by that stream over there. That's Excalibur, right in that rock over there. You know what? Mentioning when David had that fake Excalibur sword part reminded me. lying David. It reminded me of something very important. Okay. Remember when Snow showed Excalibur to Rumple? He was like, no, that's a fake. If it was real, I wouldn't be able to do this. And he destroyed it. The Dark One can't destroy Excalibur. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> we likes it. So then there's a fury. <laughs> so then there's a fury. Man, that was a creepy entrance. Yeah. Some people have quibbled with the quality of the CGI. I didn't have a too big of a problem with it. A little cartoony-ish maybe, but man, that entrance... And of course, because it's evil, it had to have cleavage. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. If it's going to go to any balls in the future, like if it's like redeemed in some way, it's going to need to go a little less evil. Which, <laughs> sorry, but to talk about plunging ne- necklines, but Guinevere did not have a plunging <laughs> neckline, which makes me think Guinevere is a good guy. <laughs> Well, Arthur didn't have one either, so that makes me think Arthur's a good guy. Yes! Yeah. (laughs) I am sure that we have had an evil character that does not have a plunging neckline. I just need to think of who it was. (laughs) Little Bo Peep? Did she? Little Bo Peep? Yeah, she did too. Nobody got time for that. (laughs) See, I don't notice, so I don't know. Uh and you know, nothing says refugees of a new curse like tons of bottled water being delivered to the camp. So I thought that was a nice detail. Water in a Ford. I was confused about um, Roland. <laughs> yes. I was confused about Roland's reaction to his dad getting taken. I just, I thought he was maybe going to like end up having some magic or something. He just like threw those sticks down and then just crossed his arms. That poor little boy has been left alone so many times by the things that have happened to his caregivers that he's learned to just hug himself when (laughs) bad things happen. That's so sad. He just threw those sticks down, and I thought he hugged himself. I thought it was kind of funny. He did, yeah. He knows he's cute, and he knows how to steal the scene. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That was less cute and more confusing, but, uh, you know, I made a story around it and made it sad. (laughs) <laughs> it's true though your story is, is so true robin was so not a hero in this episode i'm yeah. sorry but he was like just like limp on the ground in the past in the present well he was a hero when he tackled that guy away from regina in the past i guess so that was the last we really saw him on his feet though Jacqueline pointed something out here sending in this feedback saying what is up with guinevere she's off somewhere there's just something off with both her and arthur notice how guinevere reaches for the sword to ensure it's still there she's a bit too (laughs) invested in that sword that's what i thought and as jacqueline said where's the quote you cheated on me with my best friend and truest knight angst from arthur unquote yeah i thought maybe i was just being hypercritical but i thought she was a little like like that's the first thing she checked for it was weird it's as if yeah. it's their insurance in some way. Insurance against something or protection from something or yeah, sustaining something. 
But Emma's got a new place while all of these other people are camping out in the forest. Yeah, she does. <laughs> she also has a new look, which is very different for Emma. I've never seen her look uh, like a grown-up before, really, <laughs> to be honest. It reminded me of her Portland dress from the past, mm-hmm. only it was all black. When Herc was asking for the truth, he Emma said, I wish I could. In our initial reactions, I was thinking that this meant she doesn't know either, but maybe she does know, but she's not allowed to let people on. Or she knows, and she also knows that she can't let the truth be revealed. So it's not that she's unable to, maybe she's unwilling to, or she's being prevented from giving the truth. True. But then I thought it was kind of funny how she was, she got all... Well, sort of Emma-like. Yeah. She got kind of childlike for a second. She was kind of like, why can't people accept that this is how I am now? Like, mm-hmm. well, aren't you kind of like make their lives awful? Do you do you want their acceptance? I don't understand what you're going for here. Mm. So I don't know if she's conflicted or maybe she really doesn't have something else going. Maybe she's just confused. But when this is all over, does she get to keep the house? It's a great way to get her out of her parents' apartment. Yeah. Yeah. She just had to become the dark one and create a curse that included a house for herself. That's all she had to do. I mean, I feel like even a fake realtor would have been easier, but, you know, (laughs) teach her own. Gareth Gray sent in this feedback saying, here is a long shot theory. If Emma cast the curse then this is probably not true about her having false memories. But if someone else did, this is a possibility. When Regina cast the curse, she gave everyone false memories. When Snow White cast it, there would have been no impact on memory if Zelina hadn't tampered with it. Perhaps whoever cast the current curse wiped everyone's memory except Emma's and instead gave Emma false memories. I like that theory. Hmm... It sounds just, I don't like the curse being complicated. (laughs) Just like simple curses. If they make it complicated, they're not going to explain it in a way that is going to be okay for us. Just because we like, we look so into these things and we notice everything. And then when they make things complicated, then they try to make them simple at the end because they know that it doesn't make any sense. It just, it doesn't, it annoys us. So... (laughs) This is true. Speaking of annoyed, I was annoyed that <laughs> Regina was again saying that Rumple made her that way. Yeah. The evil queen. No, she became the evil queen by result of her own choices. Yes, he gave her some pushes here and there, but kind of like with the author, it was still everyone's own decision. Yes. I think she was just lashing out. In frustration, she was feeling vulnerable and incapable and doubting herself, which is the moment of, it was her weakest moment before rising up and facing the darkness. (laughs) But in Belle's apparent complete encyclopedia of all things once upon a time, she has discovered the truth (laughs) about the fury. Yeah, but you know, she's nothing without photos in the books. Are you suggesting she wouldn't have figured out it was a fury without the photo? 
Maybe. Or maybe that's just how she could explain it to Regina. She didn't see the Fury, so she wouldn't have seen the photo, like known the photo. I don't know. Oh, you're right. Good point. Sorry, Belle. I didn't mean to insult your intelligence. But the picture was very convenient because that book was clearly not heavy on pictures. I looked up the Fury based on just they had a very, you know, simplified explanation that a Fury is a demon sent from the underworld to collect the unpaid price of magic, which I believe this is the first time we've ever heard mention of the underworld in Once Upon a Time. But I could be wrong. Um, So this is all just from Wikipedia. So it's nothing, you know, too academic, but. Apparently, a fury is actually another name for a Greek mythological character that has my name in it. <laughs> it's spelled Aaron, yes, but it's pronounced Arenes. That's super creepy. <laughs> um, and so they're also known as furies, and they're uh, deities of vengeance, and they were sometimes referred to as infernal goddesses. Um. So they were those who beneath the earth earth punish whoever has sworn a false oath. Um, so they've been described in various ways, but it does kind of sound, you know, they used a good term for it, for what they were making. So then we get to have this wonderful picnic at the lake with the fury. <laughs> there were... I think this is maybe the creepiest Once Upon a Time has gotten. Uh, Describing no. the Red Room was kind of creepy, but this... There yeah. was all kinds of creepy in Neverland. True. I don't think this was the creepiest. Uh, it was kind of weird that Grim Reaper just kind of made this weird appearance on the lake. Yes. I was like, oh, hey, that exists, I guess. Uh, the Fury can't do it on her own. Well, it's not technically the Grim Reaper. Jacqueline sent what in this. What is it? <laughs> Jacqueline sent in this uh, research from Greek mythology. The guy in the boat is Charon, the ferryman of Hades. And Jacqueline said there are tons of heroes' journeys where the hero is carried through the underworld in Charon's boat. <sighs> This is the scene where we get the great Guardians of the Galaxy reference, but there are more than that. They've been tracking this in the forum, and Sci-Fi Girl sent this in, saying, In my house, we have watched Guardians of the Galaxy more times than I can count. So I was in stitches when they defeated the Fury by joining hands Guardian style. But when I thought about it, I realized there were several other Guardians references in this episode as well. When Henry shared his earphones with Violet, it was a nod to a similar scene in Guardians, where Peter Quill shares earth music with Gamora, an alien girl, by putting his headphones on her. Then there was the scene where Percival accused Regina of being the evil queen. He described how she destroyed his village while he watched, and then she smiled at him. Regina then explains that this was true, but that she is good now. I think this is a combination of two scenarios from Guardians, with Percival being Drax. In Guardians, Drax wants revenge against Ronan, who killed his family. Quote, you killed my wife, you killed my daughter, and you laughed. Drax also attempted revenge by going after Ronan's assistant, Gamora. But Gamora explains that she no longer works for Ronan and has, in fact, turned against him. Also, I know that Merlin being trapped in a tree is not the same as Groot, a walking tree. But hey, 
A tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. A person-sized tree. Mm-hmm. Well, all right then. Guardians of the round table. <laughs> so were all the people who joined hands with Regina now, did they just kind of like make one life collectively and so now they don't have as much of their life left as they would have i think these creepy creepy things from the underworld that are sort of uncomfortable even being in the show just looked at them and went morons we don't want them and they left (laughs) what is this even and they didn't understand what was happening and they left so, but as they all joined hands too, and another thing that could have offended those other beings was all the little cheerful phrasing, the me too's and the sisters. And thankfully, Arthur didn't say anything as he took a hand. But here's the thing he was the last, but he took a hand, he participated. There was no pressure, no one knew what was going to happen, but he jumped in. To help save someone he didn't even really remember. Yeah. So I think that goes to his character. Yeah. And they couldn't defeat the Fury until Arthur was with them as mm-hmm. well. So how many people? Were there four of them or five? Five. Regina, Snow White, David, Grumpy, and Arthur. So say a life is 100 years. They're all going to die 20 years sooner than they would have. Whoa. That's really pessimistic this is a pessimistic (laughs) lot i feel like i'm always having to take heroes and tell the whole entire community no they're not secretly evil but (laughs) the charon the guy in the boat was not satisfied he left without having the soul and the fury was defeated not satisfied so it makes me think it didn't get what it came for it was shooed away anytime you see something that hovers in the air and is dark and just has all kinds of flowing we'll say tendrils uh, it probably is after a soul and it probably is gonna come back if it doesn't get what it wants so they just need to learn the patronus curse <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's probably copyrighted or trademarked if we could have understood her shrieks she would have been saying you hurt my brother the race <laughs> The soul sucker. Do you know what looks remarkably like a Patronus in this TV show? (laughs) Emma's white magic. Mm, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just saying. (laughs) So as they do in Storybrooke, after something terrible happens, they have an after party (laughs) at Granny's. But before we go on to that party, I want to thank the party that's been happening in iTunes. Special thanks to Disney is my hobby who wrote a review for us in iTunes saying, I love this podcast. I eagerly wait for each episode. Once upon a time is the best show on air and listening to the podcast each week just adds to the enjoyment. Jill Mills said the people that run the podcast are amazing, educated on the show and entertaining. Thank you very much for the kind reviews. These were just excerpts from their very kind, generous reviews. If you'd like to write a review for us in iTunes and be part of the party, then go to oncepodcast.com and click on the iTunes button there and leave a review for us. But really, the best thing you can do to help the podcast is tell someone else about it. Get someone else listening to the podcast and we'd be very grateful i mean you talk about the show anyway you love the show anyway why not get someone else to love it as much as you do and get them listening to the podcast too and they could be like did you hear that theory that jeremy (laughs) mentioned yeah i thought that was amazing and that kind of stuff could be happening so please share the podcast with someone else 
Go to the show notes for this episode, oncepodcast.com slash 208, and click or tap on those sharing buttons there to share it on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. Share it everywhere else, too, that you can think of, like Reddit or Pinterest groups or boards or anything like that. Sharing the episode and sharing the podcast is the best way you can help it grow so that we can grow the community and get even more feedback incorporated into these episodes with some great uh, thoughts, theories, and ideas. So let's move the party from iTunes back to Grannies. <laughs> there seems to be a little bit of some leftover here with Henry, Henry. and Violet. Because remember, in Camelot, Henry had no courage. He had to be kind of pushed by David to go and talk to Violet. But this is his world now. Yeah, well, here in his world, he just goes up to Violet. I know. So he's got a little bit of confidence ingrained in him. And then that music for Violet is a little bit familiar to her. Yeah. Um, okay. Which, which well, partially defeats my idea that maybe Violet is Morgana. If she's saying there's something familiar. Why would Morgana say that? If Morgana is the villain here, why would she admit that it was familiar? Henry doesn't know it's familiar. There was no reason for Morgana to say that. That makes me think it's not Morgana. I know some people have theorized that maybe this is Lily's daughter or maybe it's Morgana's daughter. I don't know about that. Hmm. But it's this scene makes me think this is not Morgana. Interesting. I don't know how it could be Lily's daughter. Maybe she's testing Henry to make sure the memory block is holding. Or maybe her <laughs> memories were erased as well. Accidentally. Yeah. Although everyone remembers who they were. That's true. The six weeks. It's only six weeks. They yeah. even remember walking into Camelot, right? Uh, which is nice because they don't have to do the introductions again. Uh, yeah, I just I think Henry and Violet are so awkward. I really hope there's more to it than just what we're getting. And, and Henry, if you feed it, it'll sing for you. What? <laughs> I mean, I get that she may not be that familiar with electricity and machines but you didn't patronize her that way when you stuck an earbud in her ear and turned on an ipod well that was a gift from the savior right oh you're right he did kind of patronize her she probably can do better than henry i'm sorry henry you need to stop this (laughs) i know you're learning but you need to stop it she's not an idiot like just explain how the thing works (laughs) if you feed it what he should have said is you'll find that everything in this land costs money Including music. (laughs) He should have told her there were tiny musicians inside. (laughs) I didn't understand Snow White's statement that if we win, Emma loses. Right. It's like in that moment she wanted only, she never wanted Emma to feel bad about anything ever. Because I feel like that kind of losing, Emma would then turn around and thank them. Yeah, I think that they're thinking the only way they can fix this now is to defeat the Dark One. Or as a local rock star is saying in the chat room, she thinks that if they win, that means Emma dies. Nah, because didn't Charming say right before that, that they were going to get her back? I didn't feel like Snow was contradicting that. I felt like she was just saying, aw, but we have to fight and defeat Emma for that to happen. Okay. That's cool. You've done that for other people that needed to be stopped, and then that was good. Uh, Regina being one of them. So go for it. Go defeat your daughter. And that daughter is having her own little 
pity party, though, out on the street. And seeing her there on the street seemed like she was very much Emma and wanted to be there with everyone. Maybe she could even see Henry and wanted to see Henry's first crush. Oh, she's missing it. They couldn't do first steps. But during this montage of Rumpel talking, which we'll get to in a moment, some of the interesting things that happened in that is, uh, well, Regina returns Sneezy back to his normal state. And yes, I called it that he finished his sneeze. <laughs> but this was also not only unstoning him, but it was bringing back an icon of the savior, the red jacket. So maybe there's a little <laughs> bit more symbolism to it. They saved the red jacket. Emma will be back. Where's the baby blanket? What about the baby blanket? (laughs) I wonder if the town rumbled when he put on the sheriff's badge. Probably not. I'm guessing maybe no. He's not. It'd be cool if it did again when Emma puts it back. Yeah. Jessica Olson said, I'm not fully convinced Emma is fully dark. And I really think that how Emma words things is crucial. Maybe she inherited Rumpel's play on words. It seems like the actual dark one is controlling Emma more than anything and that she is trying to play along in order to try to defeat it and maybe partly for her sanity. You guys mentioned this a bit in the initial reactions and I agree. I get the feeling that Emma literally can't tell people what happened either because she is or was being controlled and told not to say anything, maybe by Merlin, or because it is part of her plan. If she did work with Merlin to formulate a plan, the memory loss could be part of it. I don't know how she would be able to plot against someone in her head other than playing with memory somehow. So let me share with you my crazy theory. Oh, the moment we've all been waiting for. What if all of this is fake? This is all a test. A test maybe for Emma, a test maybe for everyone else, and maybe Merlin is putting them through this (laughs) test. Maybe this is what they have to go through. The true savior has to come out, and they're all actually back in Camelot at the tree, releasing Merlin, but this is all a six-week test, essentially a six-week test, or not six weeks, but this is a test they're going through in order to release him. So at some point, it'll just be whoop, and we're going to be back at the tree seeing them releasing Merlin. Oh, Here's a little evidence of that. I hinted at it. The sound. We've seen in Lost how they change the sound depending on the kind of flashes that were happening between different things. Because in Lost, there were flashbacks, flash forwards, flash sidewayses, as we called them. And each one played a sound in a different way. Flashbacks went one direction, flash forwards went the other direction, flash sideways is sounded different. Here, every time they've gone back and forth between present and past, there's been this sound. And be- they've not done that before, using the same sound over and over like that. So I'm thinking that what's actually happening is this is all a simulation. This is a test for them. They're still at Merlin's tree. Wow. Hmm. And maybe Emma knows that. Wow. Hmm. That's my crazy theory. Wow. I like it. (laughs) 
going to have to think about that for a while. At the same time, <laughs> if that's not happening, it could be I can envision a scene as whatever took them back is happening of Regina grabbing the dagger for whatever reason and telling Emma not to tell them what she knows. Yeah. So it could be a simple order. I like your theory better, but... Maybe the sword and the dagger are part of this too. Like when it's put together in the right way for the right reason, it will bring them back to Merlin and Merlin will say, congratulations, you have passed the test. I think that's what he sounds like. Something like that. I don't know. (laughs) But listen to Rumpel's little speech here. As long as the Dark Ones existed, one thing has always held us back. The pull of the family we were so desperate to protect. The friendships that make it impossible to forget who we used to be. The magic that threatens to undo our most evil deeds. And, worst of all, the love that refuses to give up on us. No matter how hard we try, we can't escape the reach of the light. But, Emma Swan, you can change that. That's why you brought that sword here. You can do what no Dark One before you has ever done. You can make that weapon whole again and use it to snuff out the light. Whatever. Hmm. So, yes, I definitely took that to suggest that she's supposed to kill everyone. Yep. What price does she have to pay to get Excalibur? Yeah. Because apparently it's not that simple. And just as an aside, I'd like to point out that at one point I noticed it because we were looking through it, but behind the sword is a gate, kind of like a cage or just a barrier to another whole part of this weird cave under Emma's house. So what's in there? Maybe a prison. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe she has to lock them all up before she kills them. Maybe they'll all be standing there holding onto the bars, watching her take Excalibur out of the stone. So it's kind of a prison theater, really. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the price to get the sword can't be killing her family. Otherwise, the wording would have been different because he's saying that you then use the whole weapon to snuff out the light, which is the family, the friends, and the love that he talked about. Yeah. I don't know. Why is it in the stone? Maybe Arthur put it there for protection or maybe the stone appears around it spontaneously if it's taken. Merlin probably put it there Merlin, for protection. Sure. Slurpees said, I suspect Regina, not Emma, needs to remove and reforge the sword with the dagger because Regina is the new hero. For Regina's redemption arc to be complete, she needs to take up the mantle of savior, pay the price of dark magic, and somehow destroy the sword to end the Dark One curse that Merlin created once and for all. That would be cool. Because thinking about maybe this being the last season of Once Upon a Time... A lot of people are theorizing that. Wouldn't it be neat to see the person who first created the curse in order to rip away everyone's happy ending end up being the savior who defeats the darkness for everyone? Mm -hmm. Hmm. My other thought would be that it might be Henry who is key in this just because he's been key in so many other parts of this show. But he did kind of have his spotlight last season, so. Yeah. But he is the author. 
And they did remind us about that a little bit, but maybe that was more for our sake just to remember, no, he can't simply fix this. But he did claim to be a writer to Violet. Mm -hmm. Claims. Do you think that if that happens, Regina will die? Mm, I don't know. Like a hero's death? Because she sacrificed everything for to bring back the happy endings? There's really no one on the show right now that I want to see die. Uh, No hero. But sometimes being the hero and sacrificing, especially the idea of savior, does mean that person dies. The only person who really fits the criteria required to die on this show would be Hook, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, You have to be loved romantically by Emma in order to die on this show. True. Uh, In a series finale, though, I would say anything goes as far as death. Yeah. No, I agree. The same justifications or reasons why it would be so cool for Regina to be the one work for Rumpelstiltskin as well, because he's really the one that created everything. I know Regina's made her own choices and stuff, but he orchestrated this entire crazy thing. So him sacrificing himself, which I guess he kind of, I mean, he's in a coma right now, but who knows? So this concludes our discussion about this episode, The Price. We would love for you to continue the conversation. There are two places you can do that. Either comment on the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 208. And we would love for you to share that episode as well. Or go to our forums at oncepodcast.com and click on the link for the forums and continue the conversation about any episode over there. We've got a lot of great things going on. And a lot of great conversations, some amazing people in there, a great community there behind the show. You can spend literally all day there because many people do. We'll have some spoilers after the closing music of this episode in case you want to hear what's coming up. But as you know, probably, Jeremy, Aaron, and I like to stay spoiler free. But please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast and each of us individually. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Aaron, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers helping us episode after episode. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a few moments. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb managing our timeline, now fully updated through season four, and my fellow co-hosts for doing this podcast with me. And until next time, I don't want to turn into a monkey, but like remembering who I am. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for making this episode of the podcast possible. If you'd like to be one of them, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and thank you for your support. Hi, Onesters. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast yet again. Yay. Yay. Episode 503, Siege Perilous. 
In Camelot, the heroes feverishly work to free Merlin. Determined to help Emma, David embarks on a quest to retrieve a magical relic that Regina could use to communicate with the imprisoned sorcerer. But when David leaves, Arthur insists on joining him because the dangers ahead are greater than he can imagine. Meanwhile, Mary Margaret discovers the fate of her old friend Lancelot. Back in Storybrooke, Arthur seeks David's help to catch a thief who threatens the safety of the citizens of Camelot. Across town, Emma reaches out to a conflicted hook as she sets about her plan to draw Excalibur from the stone. This one's written by Jane Espenson and directed by Ralph Hemlicker. And we've got not a lot of guest stars in this one. Not a lot. And the ones that are here are exactly who you would expect. Yep. We've got the seven dwarfs and granny, of course. Liam Garion as King Arthur, Joanna Metris as Guinevere, Cinque Walls as Lancelot, and finally, Giacomo Beasato as Griff. Now, we only got one promo this week, once again. And they're so short. What is up with this? They are really short, and Canada is slacking because Canada is really trying to promote um, Blood and Oil, which comes on right after once. So which I didn't like. I didn't like it either. And so for all, like, three weeks now, we've instead of getting a Canadian promo, we get a promo for the show that is going to be airing right after Once Upon a Time ends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the American promo is pretty short, and it doesn't give away a whole lot this week. Nope. We know that this is the Charming and Arthur-centric episode, so you do see them teaming up a little bit and it looks like charming is underneath water at some point yeah and something attacks him something attacks him so that'll be interesting and then the other part of the promo is very captain swan heavy and it's hook and emma talking to each other because she needs to get the sword right that that's it i mean these promos are only like 20 second long i miss my minute long promos yeah they're they're pretty short they're not giving away a whole lot anymore when they were filming this episode, we did have a couple pictures that we want to remind you of. Yep. Charming and Arthur on set, bromancing it up, and they were carrying around some sort of cup, probably going to be the relic that the press release talks about. It's possible that it's going to be the Holy Grail from Arthurian mythology, though I'm going to lay down some cookies that they're not actually going to call it the Holy Grail. They're probably just going to call it like a special cup. Because <laughs> that's so much prettier than the Holy Grail. Right. But here is my special cup. Where is my special cup? And they have to raise it and hold it up high. Yes. Like in Monty Python or something. Yeah. I suspect that the cup is at the bottom of the lake somehow. Yeah. With some water monster. Yeah. And given that Mary Margaret's going to find out about Lancelot, I'm going to go ahead and say that he's alive. I think they're pretty much going to say that Cora lied and that. Lancelot never died. But he's in this episode. Yay! He, he is. Yep. We got the promotional photos for the episode. And these ones are just in Storybrooke. We don't have anything of Camelot yet. None of the behind-the-scenes photos. We do have quite a few of Arthur and Charming in Gold's shop with Belle. And it looks like they're discussing something. They could be looking for the, the Holy Grail. Probably. I'm sure this cup is going to resurface again. <laughs> and then there are a lot of Emma in the mines with the dwarves, and it looks like she's confronting them, probably threatening them or being evil or something. 
Well, isn't that where the rock is? The sword and the stone? Isn't it down that way? So maybe she's trying to keep him away? I guess. I don't know. Emma walked into a closet and came out in a cave. It <laughs> it was confusing. <laughs> but she's dark magic now, so she can do that kind of stuff. Sure. I Sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. It's the same reason why the mines led very randomly to the ocean back in season 4A, I guess. It all makes sense. Come on. A- absolutely. It makes total sense. Um, so those are the photos we've got for this episode so far. Nothing from Camelot, but obviously we are having flashbacks there. So maybe we'll get some photos tomorrow or something. Yep. Just come on, ABC. We want photos. <laughs> and a longer preview. Okay, let's move on. Um, there was a couple interviews this week that came out. Mm-hmm. And we find out some interesting and fun things. Yeah, we're going to start off here by talking about Captain Hook. And Edward Kitsis uh, spoke about learning more about Hook's mysterious past. And we're going to see more of that, most likely in the second half of the season. We're going to see more of Hook's life. But Eddie thinks things about Hook's past that they've touched on, whether it be his brother or talking about his father. Those events in his life resonate in the first half of this season in a very important way. Yes. And we do get to find out about the Jolly Roger. Eddie Kinsis says says that the Jolly Roger is where we last left it from the, the Ursula episode last year. So it's in the harbor in Storybrook. Yeah. Which we haven't seen. Which we haven't seen yet. I would be surprised if we don't see the Jolly Roger at some point soon. But what's funny is they were just on the docks in this last episode and we didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't sitting in the background anywhere. Yeah. They do talk about Mr. Gold and whether or not he's good now. And Eddie Kitts has said that this will get explored when the darkness is removed from his heart. And if he gets out of that coma and doesn't die, which is always a possibility. Thank you, Eddie. I would say that he should be a different person. His heart was shriveled with a lot of dark deeds. And so if you remove that, the person he was before the knife might rear its head. So a coward. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like he shouldn't be exactly the person he was before because it's not like removing the darkness automatically reverts you back to the person you were before because you've had so many different life experiences now. Right. I feel like I feel like he sort of has to be a combination of Peasant Rumple and Dark One Rumple and Mr. Gold and you know all the iterations we've seen over the past 4 years of who Rumpelstiltskin really is, and to just simply take him back to the earliest stage would feel a little disingenuous. Yes. But I'm just hoping he wakes up soon, because Bobby's just, you know, laying on a couch sleeping at this point. (laughs) Well, they do kind of, it's nice how they keep throwing him in there every once in a while, all Mr., or all rumpled out. Yeah, taunting Emma. Yeah, at least. Instead of just being in a coma. Right, I do get my weekly Bobby fix somehow, which is good. Okay, there was an interview with Lana Perea as to what's going to come for Regina and company as they navigate the Camelot storyline. And she says it's kind of a mixed bag. We're in Camelot and we're there for a very specific purpose. We don't plan on staying very long and they want to get in and get out. We want to get there, help Emma, and we want to go. That's really our goal. But because we're once upon a time, there are a lot of things that are going to trip us up and we're going to have to deal with a lot of surprising issues, danger, characters, and there's always roadblocks. I find when we go on these journeys, so we'll experience a lot of that. Yep. And, you know, we saw that last week with the 
knight who realized that she was the evil queen and tried to kill her. Percival. Percival, yep. Yes. And then finally, we just want to confirm that David Anders is coming back for one or two episodes. We're not really sure. I suspect he'll be around the birth episode. Um, if that is Zelina giving birth, then they obviously need their doctor, who is apparently, you know, an obstetrician and a general doctor and a surgeon and everything. Mad scientist. Mad scientist. So he will be coming back, I suspect, somewhere around episode 8 and 9. So I think that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Bit of Pixie Dust. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. Until next time, oncers. Oh.